The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Scorebox, and these are your headlines. The Federal Reserve hikes rates by 75 basis points in its most aggressive move since 1994 as it looks to bring down rampant inflation. Chair Jerome Powell flags a similar-sized step that could be on the table for July. We're going to find that out empirically. We're not we're not going to be completely model-driven about this. We're going to, we're going to be looking at, at, at this, keeping our eyes open and reacting to incoming data, both on financial conditions and on what's happening in the economy. And look at the consequence of a little bit of guidance. The Dow and the S&P 500 snapping five-day losing streaks after the Fed's more hawkish move. Now, Asian stocks broadly echoing the gains. European equities also looking to open higher. Well, the ECB moves to stem the route in the bond market with a new, wait for it, anti-fragmentation tool. Yep. Uh, but underwhelms expectations for more decisive action after its emergency meeting. And I'll you know, surrender to fiscal dominance. Neither can we surrender to finance uh, dominance. And we have to deliver on our mandate, uh, which is, as many of you know, price stability measured by this medium um, medium-term inflation outlook at uh, 2%. And hawkish moves piling pressure on the Swiss National Bank as it warns the market's assessment of Swiss banks has deteriorated. We're going to speak to the SMB president, Thomas Jordan, following that decision. So, very good morning. 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 Uh, so, I was thinking visual, <laughs> visual metaphors. Um, I doubt this was happening, but I had this idea in my head as I saw the uh, interest rate decision yesterday yes. that they were all running around, leaping up, high-fiving each other over in the FOMC because they pulled it off. They communicated to the market in a blackout period How that the interest rate was likely to go 75 basis points, and then they did it and then no. the blooming market rally. I think it was just a coincidence that right. the entire market and every analyst out there and yeah. every journalist who is connected to the Fed suddenly guessed it was 75 basis points. I think they guessed it, Jeff. I don't think there's any way yeah. there could have been communication from the Federal Reserve after right. Friday's CPI print print in a blackout period that couldn't have happened as well so, so it was a form of telepathy where they they were all pressing their foreheads and trying to imagine you will let us what get off this might Death happen star. you yeah, will let absolutely. us move past this mr stormtrooper isn't that why you you're meant to put uh, you're meant to not have uh, metal um fillings i don't know about so that. they can't uh, so they can't communicate you thing, with though. you from other planets i know we're right. doing the chat before the story but yes. that's all right the producers yeah. are used yeah. to that they didn't put us both here to not chat did they yeah but but it, do you remember the last meeting? I know that there's a, there's a, uh, a very golfish-like memory from a lot of people in the market, but the yes. last meeting, 
And I'll say it one more time. Steve Leesman got raptures from the market when he asked yeah. the right question. And he said, that guy behind you, very yeah. nice picture of him, I'm not thinking about 75 basis points. It's not right. part of my current thinking. The market rallied on the back of that. Yeah. And now the market rallied on the back of 75 basis points. Yeah. Incredible, isn't it? Flip a coin, Incredible. it still goes up. And, and the, inevitably, given that we had the ECB uh, statement yesterday... What, the emergency meeting statement? There is going to be, <laughs> of course, the obvious compare and contrast A-level essay question when you yes. look at the effectiveness of the communication strategy yes. that the Federal Reserve seems to be able to deliver at the moment, yes. whilst at the same time, because the ECB has now talked about this uh, anti-fragmentation tool. Oh, Everybody's starting to go, oh no, do we need to worry? Do we need to worry? The Fed's talking You're about that. The, the ECB have, is talking about this. Have you had a, a very high sugar cereal this I morning? I think I have. Not enough sleep <laughs> and too much sugar so to compensate. So what happened anyway? Well, let's walk through the details. The Federal Reserve has hiked interest rates by the most in almost three decades, lifting its benchmark rate by 75 basis points to 1.75%. Chair Jerome Powell said ongoing hikes would be appropriate, indicating a move of up to 75 basis points is also likely at next month's meeting. Officials also significantly cut their outlook for 2022 economic growth, now anticipating just 1.7%. Uh, that growth would be down from the 2.8% in March, the PCE inflation projection rising to 5.2% from 4.3%, while core PCE ran at 4.9% in April, suggesting perhaps an easing of price pressures in coming months. But every time the market seems to think we're topping out, there's going to be a September pause, we've reached peak inflation, we get another print that starts to oh, raise yeah. questions yeah. in the other what direction. Was it you said the, can you just roll back a second? Sorry, I know that I don't often ask you to do it. Go back a bit further. A bit further. Here we go. Right. I'll, I'll read this again. The PC inflation projection rose to 5.2% from 4.3%. He read it beautifully, by the way, better than I could possibly do. But my point is, and you can go forward to my read now, the, the fact <laughs> of the matter is 5.2% yes. is still 3.2% above yes. the 2% target. It's massive. Yes. And massive. And, and you've got a Federal Reserve which is talking about moving to a slightly restrictive rate potentially by the end of this year or by the end of next year as well. That is extraordinary. So 5.2%, and yet we're still raising these rates aggressively. We're up to 1.75 now. We could have up as high as at the top of the range, 2.5% after yeah. next meeting. And we're still going to be a fraction of that estimate of 5.2%. Yeah, absolutely. It's very interesting. This is yeah. the dot plot, ladies and gentlemen, or certainly part of it. The Fed's dot plot now points to rates at 3.4%. Uh, by the end of the year, reflecting individuals' projections that there will be another 1.75 percentage point increase over the next four meetings. Now, the Fed sees more hikes in the weeks and months ahead, but Chair Powell said he expects the pace of increases to slow after July. Clearly, today's 75 basis point increase is an unusually large one, and I do not expect moves of this size to be common. From the perspective of today, either a 50 basis point or a 75 basis point increase seems most likely at our next meeting. 
We will, however, make our decisions meeting by meeting and we'll continue to, to communicate our thinking as clearly as we can. Well, CNBC's Steve Leesman asked Powell whether its projection for a funds rate of 3.8% next year would be enough to bring inflation down. It's certainly a, a, a in the range of plausible numbers. I think we'll know when we get there, really. I mean, I, honestly, that, that would be, you would have positive real rates, I think, and inflation coming down by then. I think you'd have positive real rates across the curve. Um, I think that, the, you know, the neutral rate is pretty low these days. So uh, I, I would think it would. But you know what? We're going to we're gonna find that out empirically. We're not we're not going to be completely model-driven about this. We're going to, we're going to be looking at, at, at this, keeping our eyes open and reacting to incoming data, both on financial conditions and on what's happening in the economy. I'm going to slightly diverge from my uh, Tigger-like friend this morning uh, and, and, uh, and just say... <laughs> I bounce some bounce some... Uh, no, um, that is the Disney version, not the AML version. 2.5% uh, higher than I say. I don't think this was an ebullient performance by the market after what they heard from the Fed. There you go, I'm diverging. I think a lot of this move we saw before we saw the Fed yesterday, if you look at the market move, I think a lot of it was about where we've come from and where we've arrived to, i.e. I do agree though, 100% with what Jeff was saying about the communication policy from the Fed Whatever you think about how it was communicated during a blackout period, it was spot on. There was no adverse move from the markets on a 75 basis point rise. And, and again, Jeff and I, 1994, you would believe our long, luxurious, dark hair that we probably both had in those days, or certainly uh, less grey in my case. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, to put a 75 basis point rise in there and offer another one up thereafter potentially, and get the market to rally on the day. I think that is brilliant communication. Very often we'll stand here and we'll bemoan what central banks are doing. We can talk about the ECB in a moment. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, I think this was a solid performance. A lot of it was in the price beforehand as well. And, and to get the treasuries to not explode on the yield at the same time. Let's have a look. I mean, there were some very interesting moves. Look at this. Yesterday, what were we? Three point... 455, I think it was when I was out here to the decimals, and now it's 3.325. So no adverse reaction on the equity market, no adverse reaction on the bond market. What do you think the dollar did yesterday on the biggest rate rise since 1994? It fell. Yeah, the dollar index fell yesterday. And as such, no more moves um, after the various central bank action from the uh, Europeans and the uh, dollar yesterday, 104.38. The pound rallied. We've got a rate decision there as well. We'll talk about that later on as well. The yens stayed steady as well. So again, if you want to do something massive and uh, not move the markets aggressively, I would suggest look at the playbook from the Federal Reserve over the last week or so. It was quite extraordinary. Uh, oil did come off. Now that's interesting. Is that a product of the dollar because of the inverse relationship there as well? I don't know. Is it about demand concerns? I don't know. But 118.91 is where Brent's trading. 115.81. At the Asian indices, let's have a very quick look at those. Are they bouncing? Uh, the answer is no, actually. I would say they're fairly flat. The Nikkei's up eight tenths of one percent. But do you know what I'm going to do for once, Jeffrey? I'm going to shut up because I've just seen we've got a great guest and he's waiting. Let's get to Michael Yoshikami. He's the CEO and founder of Destination Wealth Management. Uh, Michael, the markets uh, were well behaved yesterday on the back of that 75 basis point move that we didn't really find out about until 48 hours or so before the decision. Why do you think the markets took it so well? And what do you think that implies for what happens as we look to another 75 at the next meeting? 
Well, a couple of things. I think the reason why the market took it so well is the market thinks that maybe the Federal Reserve has figured out that inflation is not going to be transitory. It's not going to be short term, that there needs to be dramatic, dramatic action. Um, uh, and 75 basis points certainly is greater than the more conservative estimates that some had a 50 basis point. So I was very encouraged to see 75 basis points. And on top of that, what's incredible is actually predicting that there'll be another 50 to 75 basis points um, within the next 45 days. So the Fed is very clearly communicating they're going to take any action necessary uh, to stem inflation. Now, the problem we're going to have here, Jeff, obviously, is are they going to tip the economy into recession when the consumer is already starting to pull back? The housing market in the U.S. is really locked up with mortgage rates close to 6% right now. Uh, and I think it's a virtual certainty that we're going to go into a recession uh, next quarter. As we've discussed around the desk before, Michael, you don't have to fear a recession, particularly if it is shallow and short-lived. Can we be... Correct. Can we be sure that the Fed can actually pull that off? And where do you think we are in terms of the market's belief that we will get something like a September pause as the, uh, the Fed sits back and waits to see exactly what its handiwork has achieved? Well, what, whether the Fed's going to be able to do it or not is, you know, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see, to, to quote Chairman Powell, as he said many times during the conference today. Uh, but I think that there is a belief that if we raise enough, let's say we raise by 75, we raise by another 75, um, that if there is a problem in the economy, if it's a shallower recession, which I expect it would be in the third quarter, the Fed actually has some room now to come back off of some of those rate increases. Let's say they go up 75, 75, recession starts, and then they go down a quarter, then they go down another quarter. That's going to give some oxygen um, so that we hopefully can have some kind of stimulus so it is, in fact, a shallow recession. So I think it's definitely a reasonable um, possibility. In fact, I think that's our base case scenario is right now. We're going to be in a shallow recession and then the Fed is going to cut and we're going to come out of the um, recession and hopefully have some sort of meaningful growth and not have stagflation. Mike, really good to see you today. So um, markets have come down an awful long way. I'm fine if I'm just looking at Amazon, which has come from $188 in July. Uh, down to the current level of 107 after the big rally we saw in it yesterday yeah, as yeah. well. Have these stocks come down far enough? I'm talking about the stocks that are still going to be around, not the ones that never had a decent growth model. Yeah, I, I think so, that's a good point you make because there are plenty of stocks out there right now that are imploding uh, because they have no earnings. So I, I wouldn't even speculate on those kind of names. But in the names that you're mentioning, names that have solid earnings that have gone down a third or 40% or 50%, um, I think there are some opportunities out there right now for investors. However, I would be very, very cautious about, to use a poker analogy, put, pushing all your chips in at this point, because I still think we could see lower lows if the wrong kind of news comes out. What if China somehow surprises with some bad news? What if uh, gas continues to increase in the United States, goes up another dollar a gallon? You could see lower lows. So I think you average in. Don't go all the way in in terms of pushing all your chips in, but there are some opportunities to start taking bites at the apple at this point. Yeah, what about the ones, the other side of the coin that um, get a lot of attention from, dare I say it, colleagues of ours in the United States at CNBC HQ in New Jersey, get a lot of attention from the market as well. Very noisy, but no profits. What about those kind of stocks, Michael? I would suggest in a rising interest rate environment, things look even more challenging. Well, I, you know, what's interesting, 
uh, I, I just am not a believer in buying companies that are essentially financed by cheap debt who can't make a profit and can't tell you how they're going to make a profit. Uh, this sounds just way too much uh, like .com, which you went through and I went through. Um, it just seems way too crazy. For example, and I won't mention which, which companies these are, but there are some companies that are buying cars online for people in the United States. Every car they buy and sell, they lose thousands of dollars per car, per car. Now, you tell me how that's a, a sustainable business model. Are you buying market share? You are, but at what cost? billions of dollars and you're buying it because you have low cheap financing. If it's not cheap and it's not low cost financing anymore, how are those companies going to make it? I have a hard time seeing how. Hang on, Yoshikami, you sound like me now as well, bemoaning. Uh, 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 God, we're morphing into one. That's a very dangerous I, thing not, for you, Michael. I'm not Michael. that negative, Steve. I'm not that <laughs> negative. <laughs> very good. All right, give me some positivity then about crypto because there was a, a line coming out. I like that, Michael. Thank you. Uh, there was a line coming out that the crypto winter, whatever that means, I haven't got a clue, but the crypto winter was now actually the tail wagging the dog that is the S&P. I don't know if I believe that. What about you, Michael? Uh, you know, I don't think crypto, the connection between crypto and S&P, I don't have any clue. And I think all the expectations of what crypto should be are kind of going out the window right now, whether you believe in it or not believe in it. Wasn't it supposed to be this store of value that if everything blew up, you could at least count on crypto? Well, what's Bitcoin doing nowadays? I don't really think that's the case. So again, um, this is one of those names. This, this is one of those uh, asset classes that we're not really that interested in. If I don't understand it, I don't buy it uh, because I'm held accountable by the clients that we work, work for. And I just can't buy something where I can't really tell you what it is and why it moves 50% in a 45-day period. There's just no fundamental driver behind crypto. And it's not something I'm terribly interested in. Michael, let's, let, let me ask you about energy, because uh, I think that's something that we all understand, uh, or at least we understand what's been driving the price higher. Um, but if we continue to see interest rates rise here, at what point does demand destruction mean that you need to pivot out of energy? I mean, it was an interesting session yesterday with that gas prices moving up again. Yeah. in the States after falling for several weeks here. But, but it right, seems right, to me right. that at some stage that the, the demand destruction is going to cool these prices. What are you doing with your energy positions? Uh, we're underweighted energy right now because we think that's exactly what's going to happen. I think there's also a possibility that when President Biden goes to Saudi Arabia, there might be some sort of deal struck to increase production to make up for what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. So I, I think energy is really has participated in really almost a perfect storm of, of circumstances right now. But in the end, and I'll tell you here in California, I live 45 minutes away from the test plant. It seems like every fifth car is a Tesla. Um, so uh, electric cars are absolutely the future. And so I think energy in the end, even if it's short-term spike, it's not a place that we think you want to be long-term because I just don't think that we're, that's where the growth is going to be have you on the program. It's a pleasure catching up, Michael. Good to see you. Michael Yoshikami, the CEO and founder Thanks, of Destination Wealth Management. Uh, for everything you need to know about the Fed's move, including Chair Jerome Powell's full statement, check out cnbc.com. The Bank of England meeting today expected to hike interest rates by 25 basis points. The UK 
uh, is grappling with the worst cost of living crisis in 40 years. Aside from the decision, investors will be watching out for how the Monetary Policy Committee votes, with members of the MPC having been split in recent meetings over how best to tackle price pressures. Consumer price inflation hit 9% in April, with the central bank expecting CPI to hit 10% this year. Juliana will be hosting Decision Time. That kicks off at 12.55 Central European Time. The Swiss National Bank is coming under pressure to act on rates after holding at the same level for six and a half years. UBS is predicting the central bank could end the era of negative rates with hikes starting in September and then again in December. The outcome of the June meeting is due at 9.30 CET this morning. In its latest report, the SNB said the market assessment of Swiss banks has deteriorated as a result of risks related to the war in Ukraine, the central bank adding. While both UBS and Credit Suisse are well placed in the current environment, the stress tests show potential losses could be, quote, substantial. And we will hear from the SNB president, Thomas Jordan, following the decision that's a little later today. The European Central Bank has announced plans to create a new tool to tackle the risk of fragmentation otherwise known as letting rates be set by the market. Uh, the bank will reinvest redemptions from its PEP programme and direct more cash to indebted nations in order to help shield them from the impact of higher rates. The move comes after the ECB signalled it will raise rates for the first time in over a decade next month to tame surging inflation in the euro area. Um, there's a lot to ask and say about this. I need uh, a lot of time to go through this with you, Jeff. Do we have time here? No. No. Okay. They won't let us. I need to do this. Can we they do it after the break? Us. Can we move the other stuff? Speaking at a forum in London, I've got things to say. Uh, speaking at a forum in London, the ECB president, Christine Lagarde, change, reiterated. <laughs> do you know what? For 15 hours a week, I get it all off my chest. I don't get a word in at home. You know that. Same with me. Yeah. This is. <laughs> Uh, what did she do? Oh, yes, uh, the ECB president yesterday, she spoke in London. Uh, reiterated the bank was predominantly focused on delivering on its mandate and fighting surging prices on all fronts. Each institution will have to deliver on its mission. Uh, clearly, from a central bank standpoint, uh, we cannot be either uh, dominated by fiscal issues. We cannot, be, we cannot you know, surrender to fiscal dominance. Neither can we surrender to finance uh, dominance. And we have to deliver on our mandate. Uh, which is, as many of you know, price stability measured by this medium-term um, medium inflation outlook at 2% uh, target. While the same, by the same token, fiscal authorities are going to have to do their job as well. And, uh, you know, when I look at the current situation where energy prices are going through the roof, it is a case in point that fiscal authorities and only fiscal authorities can actually make sure that the distributive impact of this hardship is addressed. Coming up on the show, President Biden calls on US oil refiners to produce, wait for it, yes, more gasoline and diesel. As, yes, uh, very predictable, isn't it? Politicians accusing the industry. But anyway, he accuses them of profiteering off the pain at the pumps. Uh, more after the break.
Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. So I've got a headline for you. Uh, under pressure, politician uh, who has elections coming up later this year accuses energy companies of profiteering. Now, whether he's right or not remains to be seen, but President Biden has accused US oil companies of profiting off the pain at the pump. With oil refining capacity down 3 billion, uh, big pardon, million barrels a day since 2020. In a letter to seven oil executives, Mr. Biden said that at a time of war, refinery profit margins were well above normal. Being passed directly on to American families was, quote, not acceptable. Uh, the White House press secretary defended the president's comments, saying uh, firms had a, wait for it, patriotic duty uh, to act in the interests of the consumer. We see it as a patriotic duty, um, as where as we are, um, uh, as we've talked about. There's war happening uh, right now in Ukraine that was caused by uh, caused by Russia, which is why we're seeing uh, the, these hikes in gas prices. We've seen a two dollar uh, increase of gas prices. So we know where to put the blame on the war. But uh, oil companies, they have oil refineries, they have responsibility too. What they have been doing is taking advantage of the war. And as as I showed earlier, they have tripled, uh, uh, tripled their, uh, their, their income. And so this is a problem. But what we're trying to do by putting out the letter, we are saying, hey, we need you to act. It is time to act. Corporations will not necessarily show their patriotic duty unless enforced to do so. They are corporations. Their first duty is to shareholders. Like it or not, we can all talk about the morality of this as well, but patriotic duty and fiduciary duty to your shareholders, and to your stakeholders, are different things. We can talk about morality until we're blue in the face, but we're talking about capitalism here. Since August, the White House has repeatedly called on OPEC plus producers to increase supply whilst also releasing record amounts of oil from their strategic petroleum stockpile. First one, I think, was when it was about 70 bucks. Uh, President Biden, meanwhile, will be travelling to Saudi Arabia next month in a bid to lessen oil prices, despite earlier labelling the kingdom a pariah. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.